And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. And welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community, bubbling away in East London, but always resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Jesse Lawson. Hello. Later, we'll be joined by London Bike Polo and I'll be playing the latest episode of Starting Conversations, which is all about street harassment. We'll be joined by the curator of Rainbow Pilgrims, a project focusing on LGBTQ plus migrants. And Anglo-Dutch singer-songwriter Gita de Ridder will be playing live later on. But first, over the past week, I've been cooking up some dinners from Make It, a recipe kit company based in Hackney. And founder Steve Wilson is here to explain how it all works. Hi, Steve. Hello. Um, So, Make It. For those who don't know what a recipe kit is, I mean, it kind of seems obvious, but maybe it isn't. Recipe kits, so essentially we pre-order online and then we deliver a a recipe card along with all the pre-measured ingredients for people to be able to cook up really interesting vegan and vegetarian recipes at home so just making it super easy so people don't have to think about what they're going to cook they don't have to go to the supermarket find all those hard to find ingredients bring them home measure them out and say different quantities so we do all of that for people um um, yeah so i um you sent me uh two uh like a so i i received this cardboard box and it got Um, So it kind of got delivered to my door and inside the box were two kind of paper bags full of ingredients. Um, One was for a chocolate chipotle black bean chilli with guacamole and the other one was a garden pea leek and lemon risotto. So I chose two things that I wouldn't normally cook just because they're not in my kind of repertoire so I thought it would be a bit more exciting to cook some Mm -hmm. new things. And I have to say, it's like receiving a gift. Like you, you open up your box and you've got all these kind of things um, there and I laid them all out and it was all, you know, nicely all kind of um, in the right portions. Um, but you still kind of, you do need to like be, you know, you, you need to know how to cook a little bit. Everything's measured up, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's for like the complete novice. Yeah, you still have, you still have to do a bit of cooking. The idea is we're trying to help people to be cooking fresh food at home so we do a lot of the process for people in terms of making up spice mixes making up fresh homemade pestos doing the blending um but we like to make it about half an hour from box to plate so those last little pieces making sure that the food's going to be fresh so the fresh ingredients are transformed in your kitchen into a beautiful homemade meal and what makes make it uh different from say like the other recipe kit 
companies like HelloFresh and things like that? Well, first of all, we're, we're fully vegan and vegetarian. So we're trying to help people to make that transition to incorporating more vegetables into their lives, learning about vegetarian recipes, learning about vegan recipes. And we're also a social enterprise. So the profits from the set of our full price kits go towards subsidizing uh, recipe kits and cooking classes for people on low incomes or suffering from diet related illnesses. And how did you, why did you start? Like, I know you, you've got a background of being a chef and also um, you, you run workshops, but um, how did you kind of make that transition to start this business? Uh, so the project actually came off the back of uh, an NHS research project into new strategies to combat the obesity crisis. Um, Recognising that recipe kits were a sort of a new, a new thing on the scene, so um, starting to become very, very popular. The first recipe kit uh, business launched in the UK in 2012, which was HelloFresh, um, but they're generally targeted towards people on higher incomes, and so. The idea was to make something so that the benefits of recipe kits making it easier for people to to be cooking fresh food at home could be um, brought out to a, to a wider range of people. So that's that's where Make Kit was born. Um, then we recognised that if we wanted to build a sustainable business, we needed to kind of do a little bit of a Robin Hood kind of thing. And so taking our full price kits and then using those to help to subsidise uh, recipe kits so we can making sure that people on low incomes are benefiting from recipe kits too. Mm. So who at the moment are your kind of main, not audience, but your, the, the people who are, who, who, are, who are purchasing? What kind of people are, are kind of purchasing these kits on a regular basis, do you think? So we see because of who we are and what we are and what we're trying to do, that's generally conscious consumers that are interested in, people that are interested in social enterprise, people that are interested in making a, there's been a large shift over the last couple of years of people starting to explore veganism, starting to explore vegetarianism that wouldn't perhaps have thought of doing that before, um, but also people that are just trying to incorporate more fruit and vegetables into their diets and reduce their meat consumption but don't necessarily want to be labelled as vegan or labelled as a vegetarian. So we're there really to help those people just to make it easier to make vegetables taste really, really good. I think it's... As a chef, I used to rely on meat and dairy a lot for flavour, so I think it's harder to be able to create tasty food without uh, meat and dairy so we're trying to teach people those interesting techniques how to use uh, how to use nuts to make cashew creams for your lasagna instead of using a bechamel or how to roast a cauliflower or create a beautiful uh, a zoog which is like a middle eastern pesto to go with your go with your aubergine or what have you yeah, I hadn't thought of it um, that way, actually. Just if you are transitioning into veganism or vegetarianism, um, often people are just like, they don't quite know what to do. It's like, oh, my, oh what do I do? You know, it's like, mm. what what am I going to cook? So I guess it, it's it's a really nice transitional way before you kind of know, you know, how to kind of make a full meal with vegetables. And yeah, just sort of thinking about the ingredients in a different way, really, if... If you've been thinking about food in terms of meat and two veg, if you take away the meat and you're just left with two veg that haven't had the same application of care to them that perhaps a vegetarian would take, then it's important to learn new techniques and yeah, and to play around new flavors, learn really how to use 
how to use spices and how to make more affordable ingredients and elevate them, alchemize them into really interesting things. And what's nice is um, you, you, when you get the, the food, you also get this little folder with kind of recipes in it. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, um, I don't know where, if anyone remembers when they were younger, but I used to um, get these magazines where you'd kind of collect, like you get the folder. File facts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's too. kind of, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's kind of like, so you, make, you build up this nice collection and it's all kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, got, got the cards in and you can flick through them. And the other thing I liked was the portions are really generous. Um, I actually got, um, so the, the recipes I got were supposed to be for two portions and they did like last me quite a few. Um, so I had kind of dinner, lunch and then another dinner out oh. of, yeah, <laughs> maybe, my, you know, but they were still generous portions. And they, uh-huh. I think because they're quite, um, I, so maybe from the kind of cooking I do at home, I would just make one thing and not an accompaniment for example I'm, I, w- mm-hmm. I might make a chili but I wouldn't make the kind of guacamole to go next to it um, so having that whole kind of ex- I, yeah I just found it really filling and, and kind of didn't feel like I wanted like to have pudding because mm-hmm. it was all it was all there so that you know that worked for me anyway and did you feel nutritionally that you're getting everything that you wanted to get from your I don't know. Did, I think did you, I did. You feel lifted by the food. <laughs> of course, I did. Of course, <laughs> did I did. Um, but yeah, no. I it, and also just trying some some um, food that I might not eat normally. I think is is you know it's, it's always fun to try new things mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I think variety is. I say variety is the spice of life. Yeah. I think variety within food is really important too. If you're just eating the same food products, you're not going to be getting the range of vitamins and minerals that you really need to. To live a healthy life, so yeah, yeah exactly. And things. I think most of us get into the habit of just buying the same thing at the supermarket. Mm. You kind of go in and you go on kind of automatic mode, and it's like, okay, courgettes. I always mm. buy courgettes, but I wouldn't buy a leek. I mm. just don't know what to do with leeks, so I never now buy you know. them. But now I know <laughs> <laughs> I can make leek risotto. So you know, now I know what to do with leeks. But the only, the only thing, the only concern I had was the packaging. Mm-hmm. So. It's there's quite a lot of it, mm-hmm. so <laughs> how yeah, so, do you how do you kind of negotiate? So yeah, that? we're aware of that as sort of something that we that we're we're trying to we're trying to make sure that every, all the packaging that we use is compostable or recyclable. So there's um, been some new developments within the world of bioplastics of um, of compostable plastics. Um, so starting to use those made from cornstarch or made from potato starch. Um, so most of the plastic-looking things in the boxes can be put into the food waste. Right, um, okay. And then as long as they go through industrial composting, so if they're heated up above 80 degrees, then uh, they'll compost. Um, Great. So um, using that, we've, you probably notice we have a focus on using cardboard in the boxes and using craft paper rather than using, using plastics where possible. Um, then all the plastics we're using, we're aiming to have in two weeks' time to have everything to be compostable or recyclable. We're not quite there yet. A couple of things we're trying to switch up, but, yeah, we're trying to get there. Great. Um, and so for people who want to give Make Kit a go, what do they do? How do they find you? Uh, you can find us online, so makekitfood.com. That's M-A-K-E-K-I-T food.com. And we should do an Eastcast little special discount. So if people... It won't be ready yet, but if in, in half an hour... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you yeah. uh, if you put a discount code in at the end uh, so at checkout of of east cast then uh get 50 percent off your first order to give wow. it a try wow thank so you <laughs> okay great thank you so much for thank coming you. on the show Cheers. Brilliant. We're going to do a little bit of a shuffle round. Um, so uh, while we're doing that, uh, Jesse, do you want to introduce our, our next guest? Yeah, yeah. So um, outside of Eastcast, I play bike polo, um, which is the best. <laughs> uh, so I think everyone should play. So I've invited Emmett and Danielle from Lund Bike Polo to tell us more about it and how we can get involved. Hello. Hi, Jess. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, so what is bike polo? Uh, Shall I get this one? So bike polo is a mixed gender team sport. Uh, played with teams of three. Uh, games usually last about fifteen minutes long, and uh, it resembles traditional polo in terms of like you got your steed and your mallet. But in terms of actual gameplay, it's a bit more like ice hockey and uh, or roller hockey. Sweet. Um, when did it start? Where Where's this all come from? Uh, bike polo started in Seattle in 1998. That's where I'm from. But I started playing in 2013, and it began in the Messenger community. So, yeah. Cool. Um, how long has it been in London for? I think they started playing in London in two, 2007. Um, but in 2009, they actually held the first ever European Championship in London. Nice. So, just around the corner for where, I'm, where we're recording right now, actually. So. <laughs> um, what does that mean, a European champ- Championship? So that's where just the best teams from Europe come out to compete, see, you know, who takes the title. Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt because I'm confused. For a complete <laughs> novice of someone who knows nothing about bike polo, can you just explain a little bit more? Like, I've just got this image of someone on a, a bike with a stick. <laughs> and what do you do? Like, what, yeah. what, what is it? So it's a lot like that. Um, <laughs> so you have three people riding bikes on each team so so there's six people on the court at a time and everyone has a mallet and you use the mallet to hit the ball into the opponent's net on the other end of the court while you're while you're cycling yeah okay so you're cycling i'm just trying to picture this you're cycling Mm -hmm. with one hand on your handlebar one hand with your mallet Mm -hmm. and then how do you break you break with uh one of your hands you we have one break most people have a front break and most people set it up on their left-hand side and play right-handed, but some people play left-handed with their mallet and have the brake on the other side. Okay, so you have to kind of transform your bike so that it's suitable for bike polo. Yeah, so most people play on bikes that are similar to track frames or polo-specific bikes. Like, there's a few companies out there making them. Great. And then how many people are on each team? Three people on each team. Right, okay. Uh, Can you put your feet on the ground? No. No, no, that's pretty much one of the main rules. Not to. If you put your foot on the ground, you're, you're out until you tap back in on the side. So what's it done for your bike skills? I didn't ride a bike at all before I started playing bike polo. And um, now I would probably say I'm a very competent bike rider. Uh, you can learn a lot of tricks and kind of fun, flippy things after a while. Sweet. Yeah. It was the first time I learned about being clipped in. Could mm. you explain what that means? So a lot of players choose to be clipped in where they use clipless pedals. Um, They're the kind of pedals that have a mechanism where uh, if you use special shoes, you can attach yourself to the pedals, um, which makes you go extra fast. And, yeah, you can do all sorts of hops and stuff with that. And fall over spectacularly. But (laughs) (laughs) you get over that pretty soon. Yeah, that's a a big question that lots of people ask me when they find out a play is, is it dangerous? 
no, it's not dangerous at all. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get some, some bruises and maybe um, a little blood here and there, but no, it's not dangerous. At the end of the day, it's only the ground. <laughs> and we wear helmets and padding. Of yes. course, yeah. 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 All the you can pad yourself up as much as you like. <laughs> but generally, people play to however you feel comfortable. So it's, you know, if you want to go hard, then, you know, there's games for that. But people are very accommodating. Yeah. Um, this I can't actually think of many or any other sports that are mixed gender. What does it mean to play on a mixed gender sport in a mixed gender sport? Uh, as a as a woman coming to it, it's it's really challenging and it's really fun. And I learned how to, you know, reconceptualize my limits in ways that I think I never would have uh, if I didn't start playing bike polo. But Quidditch is also a mixed gender sport. <laughs> just throw that out there. Yeah, and I think dressage. That was the only one that I could think of. Also great, I'm sure. Emma, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I just echo what you say about it being fun. And, you know, I mean, it is challenging because, the, you know, not many sports are mixed gender, but I think it's a really positive challenge to have. Um, and the only thing I can say is we should have more women uh, and trans and gender non-binary players, you know, coming in because, yeah, it's, it's mixed gender, but we need more, <laughs> more representation. <laughs> so, so where so. do you guys play? Where, where, do, where do, you, do you play, like, weekly? How, how does it work? Uh, so in London, we play a few times a week in different locations, you know, because London's quite big and people live all over the place. Uh, so we got, we've got location down in Clapham Common where we play, uh, in Borough, and also up in Islington. So. Great. Just off Essex Road. Mm-hmm. How can people find out exactly where those courts are and more about bike polo? So I would say check us out on um, Instagram at London Bike Polo. Uh, we're also on Facebook. And there's also this great place called London Fixed Gear Single Speed, LFGS. LFGSS. Yeah. Dot com. A, dot com. Yeah, yeah, it's an online bicycle forum. Just, uh, but Facebook's probably the best, best <laughs> and easiest one uh, for those who have it. And if you're a complete beginner, what's, what advice do you have? Is there any special thing that beginners can do? Yeah, we actually host in London a monthly beginner session, which is on the first Monday of each month at Newington Gardens, Harper Road, SE1. Uh, we start from about 7.30pm and people can just come along. Even if you don't have a bike or anything, we'll lend you the bike and all equipment and uh, get you stuck in some games, you know. Or cool. charge. Will you be coming next time this year? I'm not a hundred percent convinced, oh, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to do anything once. Awesome! <laughs> you can bring your recorder and pretend that it's like an yeah, investigation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, once is enough. You'll be hooked. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, thank you very much, Emma and Danny. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Uh, you are listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast Show. And you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes or Spotify uh, if you type in Eastcast Show London and at eastcastshow.com. Uh, and we have all of our updates and uh, all of the catalogue catalog of our shows there. Um, now it's time for starting conversations. This month I walked around Dalston asking passers-by about street harassment. Then I spoke to Kelsey from Hollaback London, an anti-street harassment organisation. Here is what I learned. Do you know what street harassment is? Yeah, I guess so. How would you describe it? Well, when you, when you invade a person's personal space on the street. Oi! Guys assuming that you're just walking along looking for somebody, you know, to hook up with. 
if a guy makes a pass at you and you ignore him, but depending on how you, you go about doing it, it could turn ugly. Is that stuff that happens to you guys? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. Pull us, oh, blackie. Yeah. <laughs> um, unwanted attention from somebody you don't know? Or it might even be somebody you know? <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with it, but I've, I've done it. You know, nothing nothing major, like just shouting out of a car window, hello, darling, and, you know, and that's that. But I was talking to my my my, uh, my ex-partner the other night about it, because you know, we're on the telly, and... Uh, she said, like, you know, she don't mind it if she walks by a building, a building site and so on, whistles out. You know, as long as it's not aggressive, you know, get your properties out and all that, you know. But, like, if someone's chat, if someone sends you a whistle, like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll be honest with you, I don't see nothing wrong with that. I'll tell you why I used to do it, because I was normally in the car with my mates and I made you look big, you know what I mean? Like, you know, more like that, like, it wasn't about... Because I know that nothing's going to happen. That girl's just passing by on the street. You know what I mean? It makes me feel annoyed, but that's because I'm older, you know. I might totally ignore it or just, um, you know, say, cough or might, I suppose, use humour, you know. I did that when I was at school, like, you know, pinch girls' asses and things like that, you know, which is probably still wrong in it, you know, if you're a woman, right, you know, but, that, you know, the last time I've done that was probably about 14, 15, you know. Some people just shout stuff they don't want to hear. And what do you guys do when that happens? You just continue with them, ignore them. Yeah. Or yeah, if you're with your keep... parents, you tell your parents and your parents will do something about it. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing to do. Because sometimes you feel like you don't you don't know what comes in your way. You just walk down the street and then someone calls you ugly. Yeah, street just can see it Yeah. Especially in Dawson because there's yeah, lots yeah of, there's more people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like last time I was walking with my friend oh, and then did this girl was like um what was that guy saying again? Oh, um, yeah. yeah. He was saying inappropriate things. Yeah. You know, yeah. That was really harassment. Like sexualized. Yeah. yeah. It's really weird. And what did, how did you Especially when we were that young. Happened? I walked away. We just felt negative and like, we just walked away because like, we just don't want to get involved and something might. Because you see the children that are dying. <laughs> I don't want to die young today. Or... <laughs> and how old are you guys? I'm 11. 11. I'm 11. I'm 11. Wow. Look sharp. After the show, everybody's getting ready to go and slap me on my bottom. It's okay, he'll never do it again. <laughs> he'll never ever do it again. I dressed him down. It's gone. Bye. If it happens again, I'll do the same thing. You have to be able to stand up for yourself. And being a black woman, having grown up with racism, it hasn't stopped. I do find my corner. I see it as complimentary. It all depends how highly strong the individual is. It's on the receiving end. You know, some women are so, like, uptight, you know, you can't even look at them. Do you know what I mean? Because I've seen it, I've witnessed that happening. You know, and it could turn a person's day, couldn't it? If somebody's having a bad day, feeling low about themselves, and, you know, you give them a compliment, you know, that could, that could turn everything around for them. Can I put a situation to you, then? Yeah, of course you can. OK, so... Um... So I've been harassed a lot on the street. Right, okay. So I, as in like, all, all spectrums from people whistling at me to people like groping me when I don't want them to. Like it happens no, that, a lot and I don't like it and it makes me feel unsafe and it makes me feel upset. Mm. And you don't know 
maybe I'm walking down the street and I've already been groped twice that day and someone shouted at me and someone's following me down the street and then you come and you're like, oh, you know, give us a smile or whatever you do. And maybe you think that's a compliment, but you don't know how I'm feeling that day and like what's already happened to me. And for me, that's all in the same spectrum because I don't know if you're a nice guy or if you're going to try and do something to me that I don't want you to do. Yeah, I understand. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? I do, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, um, it's like women that are actual victims of, of crime, you know, sexual crime. I mean, um, you know, I know I know women that have been violated that way and, uh, you know, you can't, you know, you've got to have a boundary, you can't even touch them, you know, they can flinch back, so... You're not to know where a person's coming from, you know what I mean? Um, from my own perspective, it's done innocently, you know, in a, in a kind way. Um, but, you know, what you've just said, obviously, it shines light on things. You know, uh, yeah, it does. It shines a new light on the situation. Sometimes it's always the grown people that are always saying these things. Yeah. But then they know we won't do anything because we're young. Yeah. Because yeah. they just take but advantage. It's not, it's not like that. We, we will say something because it's justice, you know? <laughs> Leering and um, staring to actual groping on the street and being sexually assaulted, but also catcalling, whistling, sexualized comments, being followed on the street. All of these things fall under that umbrella. The usual sort of uh, being shouted out by people in cars, people letting you sit on their hand. <laughs> that is something that happens quite a lot. Um, as if men don't have feeling in their hands as well. Oh, I just didn't realize. Um, and. Uh, yeah, just a, there's a whole spectrum of harassment that sort of is part of this spectrum of gendered violence. Yeah, I don't know. I think as a woman of colour as well, there's often a racialized element to harassment that we experience. I've had a man try to smell me to, quote, see if I'm Iranian. Weird things like that. Yeah, I'm Kelsey. I'm a coordinator at Hollaback London. What is the difference between flirting and harassment? Flirting is mutual. It's It goes two ways. And it's the same with compliments. Like, a compliment by definition is something that makes you feel good. And so if it hasn't made you feel good, then it's not a compliment. And if you are not participating in it, it's not flirtation. And what we talk about a lot at Hollaback is that actually it is about choices that people are making to perpetrate this behaviour. It's not this innocent like oh I just don't know like what women will have a problem with like people know they just don't care actually like so many people that I know experience a lot of harassment when they were wearing school uniform and things that like really shouldn't be sexualized but are and so a lot of people actually start experiencing harassment before they even have any kind of sexual identity of their own before like they could be in any way looking for that attention do you know what I mean and so yeah it's mad that you could learn about your sexual identity through street harassment How do you make people understand you haven't experienced it, how prevalent it is? So that's why things like the Hollaback website are really great because we literally have mapped out, you know, at this point, thousands upon thousands of incidences of harassment. So, like, especially now with the Me Too movement and things like that, I think, like, the silence has been broken to an extent about how prevalent these issues are. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of that, of, like, people who don't experience it being, like 
wait you too and it's like yes like <laughs> it's literally like yeah it's so many of us and um you know it's 85 percent of 18 to 24 year olds um have experienced sexual harassment in public spaces and then we kind of share tips and sort of ideas about bystander intervention which is basically a principle of becoming an active bystander when you witness harassment happening so say you're um on you're walking on the street and you see um someone like who's clearly not enjoying the conversation that they're having um and you can just go over and be like Ask them for directions is quite a good one. Asking for the time. You just start a different conversation and sort of like turn your body so that they, the person experiencing the harassment also has to turn their body and you just disrupt that conversation in that moment. Or things that I've also done, if it's um, on the street, it can be, you can like just pretend that it's someone that you know. So like you just sweep them along with you and you're like, oh my God, hi, I haven't seen you for ages. How funny is it to run into you here? Like, Whoa. And then you're just like in a conversation and you're sort of walking along. I think for men it's really important to pull other men out I think that's really really powerful to actually um, speak to your male friends about these issues and to it's about challenging those behaviors and I think it's really powerful when men do that as well and also because it takes some of the labor off of women who are already experiencing this stuff so that's like a good show of solidarity is to be able to stand up to your friends who are men as well if you or someone you know has experienced uh, or witnessed street harassment, then you can share your story with Hollaback London at ldn.ihollaback.org. Uh, you can also get updates there about their upcoming events and workshops. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at HollabackLDN or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Hollaback London. Thanks, Jesse. I don't know about you, but um, people seem to get very excited about women on bikes. Yeah. Like yeah. lots of uh, <laughs> saddle comments. Um, yeah, it's, I, I never really got that. But there does seem to be this thing where a woman on a bike is like super exciting. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, it's literally <laughs> the excitement of trying to get you off your bike. So I used to live next to a really steep hill and someone grabbed my bum and tried to pull me off my bike as I was cycling off the, up the hill. Yeah. Which is, yeah. No, I usually get things about wanting to be the saddle. <laughs> You're a little more creative, maybe. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, I mean, what do you do? You're just like, yeah, okay. Um, all right, we're going to move on to something completely different. <laughs> um, so I had the honour of working on the audio production and some of... Um, some documentary making uh, workshops, audio documentary making workshops at the Roundhouse for an amazing project called Rainbow Pilgrims, which is a collection of oral histories from LGBTQI plus migrants in London. And um, here in here with us is Ella Hollywood, who is the curator of the online and mobile exhibition. Um, of this project and she's going to tell us a little bit more about how it all got started and w what it's all about so thanks Ella for coming and joining us no worries hello um, glad to be here um, yeah so Rainbow Pilgrims um, kind of came about as a response to Brexit and the huge spike in hate crime um, that happened after the referendum result uh, it was set up by a project manager called Sean Khan um, at a charity called Liberal Judaism which is based in London 
Um, he's already run successful oral history exhibition projects such as Rainbow Jews and Twilight People. Um, but in the aftermath of Brexit, he really wanted to do something something to fight back against this trend. Uh, and that's what Rainbow Pilgrims is really trying to do. It's trying to celebrate diversity and change perceptions in order to bring about greater community cohesion. So um, can you t- just explain how uh, the kind of process, because I know that you had, it was very volunteer based. So a lot of volunteers um, collecting these stories and recording them. So can you talk us through the whole kind of process? Because I think that's really interesting how, you know, the stories were recorded and how these people came forward to to kind of give their testimonies. Absolutely, yeah. A team of volunteers were trained, um, given formal oral history training. And the whole project, actually, I should say, is funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund. Um, And uh, with that, they were able to be professionally trained um, in this way. Um, And... So Sean uh, managed to find people to don- generously donate their stories. And then you have this team of volunteers who are going out and interviewing them, recording their histories, but also taking their photographs. Um, so there were some really beautiful photo shoots done around London and Manchester at LGBT um, landmarks. So things like Manchester's Gay uh, Village and there's a statue of Oscar Wilde. Um, so all of this is sort of going on um, and then and then the volunteers all came together and thought, OK, how are we going to put this together into an exhibition um, and really celebrate all the great sort of stories that we've got here? Did any of the participants, were they involved in the organising of the exhibition? Yes. So actually, one of the participants um, is an illustrator as oh. well. So he um, so for people who couldn't make photo shoots and things, um, he, he did some beautiful illustrations. Um, so, yeah, um, people were involved in all sorts of ways. So, um, I mean... The stories aren't all that happy. I mean, there's some quite harrowing mm-hmm. stories in there, and a lot of there's there's a few people who donated their stories that um, wanted to remain anonymous because yes. um, they're seeking asylum or because uh, where they live, um, their families, and if if people knew who they were, they would be in serious danger. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of? navigate the sensitivity of of some of these topics that came up so yeah we were very conscious of any stories that might contain sort of um, personal triggers um so we made sure that we didn't include something that we thought might might sort of trigger a traumatic memory um so yeah we were conscious of that throughout we also made sure that all the participants were happy with the way we were presenting their stories so they got to like um see how the work was progressing as we were doing it um and we've used sort of pseudonyms where we needed to and and made sure we're protecting the identities of everyone involved because that is a super important part of the project you're Right. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, uh, also the the mixture of uh, voices that we hear. I mean, there are kind of all kinds of people from people who are, you know, having to leave their country because uh, it's, you know, you can be stoned to death for being Mm. gay or people who've, you know, come from the States because they're seeking a different life or, you know, there's, there's a real variety. It's not just kind of what I guess we typically considered a migrant um they're they're all sorts of people right yeah and the stories are quite disparate so it was a challenge to sort of bring them all together in this one project um but i think that's what's so um so lovely about it is that you've got all of this um diversity in one place but we also um have a story uh, donated by a traveler someone from the gypsy uh, roma traveler community um so we sort of broadened the definition of migrant in that sense um so it, it really is a diverse group of people, and that's, I think, what makes it so sort of fantastic and unique. And you, ex- you kind of um, 
for curating the exhibition, you divided up uh, the stories into kind of different themes. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through? Because I guess there were themes that came up a lot in in different, you know, in everyone's story, and and I think that was a great way to kind of. Um, I guess, put everything, kind of give everything a context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we kind of started with the idea. We knew we wanted to um, yeah, use the idea of journeys, essentially, because I suppose um, with migrants, um, refugees, they've sort of been on these physical journeys, but um, kind of wanted to flip that and talk about the emotional journeys, and that's what these themes are, like all about emotional journeys and sort of uh, searching for belonging because also identity was like the other major, major theme um, because all the participants are sort of negotiating all these intersecting identities of um, their gender, sexuality, their faith, ethnicity. Um, so the themes are uh, divided up into sort of different ways of searching for belonging. Um, so we've got a theme like finding the words and that sort of looks at um, people's experiences and coming out um, also got a theme of finding love and that also kind of looks at family rejection which is was a common thread in some of the stories um there's finding a community sort of talking about the the good and bad sides of the lgbt community in the uk which was uh, really sort of fascinating to hear the different experiences that people have with that um yeah <laughs> and then um so part of the project that i worked on was um this um partnership with the roundhouse um, so rather than me explain it, do you, do you want to just explain what that was, um, what, you know, why there was this partnership? Um, yes, I think that was partly about um, um, getting the wider community involved mm. um, in the project and training up a group of students in doing um, oral history interviews um, and recordings. Um, but I wasn't there, so... Yeah, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll say a bit more about it. So, um, yeah, there's a, a for Roundhouse Radio, um, we created uh, a weekend workshop where uh, students were invited to record... Um, some stories with the volunteers who um, from, from Rainbow Pilgrims and then make some kind of uh, short documentaries which were like audio portraits of each person and they're all on um, the Rainbow Pilgrims exhibition website which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so that, that was a really nice way of getting some different perspectives as well um, for, for some of these stories. So you've created an online exhibition which is an interesting way to kind of, um, I guess, archive these stories. And, and I think that often the problem I have with oral history projects is they end up being just a kind of database of audio mm. that you just have to kind of click through and listen to or you have to go to a library to listen to. So this makes it a lot easier to navigate and there are images and there are themes. So... Um, yeah, yeah, we wanted to make it as accessible as possible and I think that's part of the reason for focusing so much on the online exhibition because we'll have this touring mobile exhibition but you know, you're not going to reach as many people that way um, So, and an online exhibition can have a far longer legacy so it can just be there um, always as a resource um, The collection will also become an archive as well <laughs> so there will be that element of yeah. it um, and that, that will be deposited in the London Metropolitan Archive this summer um, so what's next? Like what, what's happening now? Now the exhibition is online so people can listen to all these stories and see the photographs. And yes, read. And please do. Yeah, it's rainbowpilgrims.com. Uh, you can find it. Um, yeah, it will continue to tour. Um, we've got some more dates um, coming up, but we've already been at the Wiener Library in London and, um, and the Migration Museum in Vauxhall. 
And the Horny Man Museum last weekend. Of course, and yes. the Horniman Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Loads of kids came along to that one, so that was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, more touring and um, yeah, just getting the message out there and making sure people are kind of heading to the website and just having a listen. Thank you. So we're going to listen to um, a kind of compilation of uh, clips from some of the interviews and uh, around the subject of faith. Um, so we'll listen to that now. It's not just Jesus who said these very profound and wise things about what faith is. It's many faith traditions. That the only faith that matters is the one that's lived. Not the one that noisily professes itself from a pulpit or a rock or a street throng or a megaphone but the one that simply lives what its creed is about. And as a faggot in this century, to be someone who would reflect that God means to have us be part of what that is about, that being human is to be us, that's a neat thing to hold on to in a faith tradition. I am religious, but I don't believe this. God doesn't say that you have to pretend or you can't be what you are. Well, I mean, I'm a gay man and I'm Jewish. Would I identify as individual parts? I don't know, or, or do they kind of come together? I don't know, but, but they, you know, they form who I am. I'm a Muslim because I'm, I'm growing in a Muslim people. Religion and gay is and Muslim, gay, Muslim, big problem, you know, you have to take which one you like. I want to be gay, that's why I can practice Muslim things. And I felt dirty and wanted because, you know, in Africa or in the church, we to, because I, I grew in the church, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah, how, how I went. Gays are there in, in Africa, in, in America, and in, in uh, UK, but no, no in Africa because those are sinners. I identify myself as heterodox. So whatever, you know, I see church, I go in and pray, I see mosque, I see Buddhist temple, I, when I travel, anywhere I pray. I used to go in the night after the dinner in Abdul Balkan and I used to pray, God, please help me, I really want to get out from this country. Binary system does not allow and wants to erase the God-given fact that God makes intersex people as well. And regardless of what society says or the medical profession say for me I cannot and will not under any circumstance fly in the face of God again and deny one of his creations and I am one of his creations. If you believe in the religion and if you believe in the God you know as a Hindu or Buddhist or Christian or Muslim you know God is watching you before you even think about it God know if you believe in those things, homosexuality is okay. Otherwise, there will be have so much things happens to homosexual people already. Because you are homosexual, you are gay, a lesbian, a transgender, will have something happen to you already. So many bad things will happen to you because of the religion, no. And I think any religion will actually it's okay if you believe in God. We, we both felt that we wanted, when we got to the UK, to find a faith home. And we said, let's try Quakers. There were 
people from all walks of life, people from all countries. I was very international that way. There were a lot of people who were there because they were seeking a new faith home because their faith home of their childhood did not fit them anymore. I do like the ritual as well as the silence that the Quakers can offer you. And we do feel that we are people of faith. Well, I still say God is good. He's still kept me here, you know. I want to throw in the towel, but he just won't accept it. He keeps pushing me back in the ring, you know. So that is the case. Like, who am I to argue with God that created me? I needed something where we can share experience. Yeah, it's really my home and my church. I feel happy. Yeah. Yeah, people are really caring, like, the way they talk about it. Like, they welcome everyone. Like, we are not different from other people. Being a lesbian doesn't mean you're an abomination or a shame. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I'm, I'm quite lucky or, or quite um, grateful about is the fact that the people at my synagogue are always so welcoming. God has worked in mysterious ways for me. He has given me the opportunity to see that he is powerful. He can really show himself in various ways. So I believe in the fact that he has brought me closer to him of every single thing that I've gone into with life until today as I live fully as a trans man. Now, to be a pilgrim here is very important. It's very important to be able to voice, to be able to share, to be able to learn, to be able to teach, and to be able to get some kind of thing back, and to be able to be taught. And that's what this pilgrimage is all about. So to be a pilgrim here is just joining a school for life. So that was a clip from just some of the soundscapes that you can hear on rainbowpilgrims.com and watch out for the um, exhibition which will be roving around the country. So thank you. Um, so now it's time for some music. Um, Gita de Rida and Hannah Lovell are tuned up and ready to go, I think. Um, hi. Hi. Hello. So um, we'll... Find out a bit more about you in a minute, or a few, uh, but I think we need to hear some music. So what are you going to play for us? Uh, the second to last single, a song called The Wheel. Okay, thank you very mm -hmm. much. They tell us there's a place that we we need to get it. We keep on climbing to get to the top, to get up above. And we climb, and we climb, and we climb. They tell us there's a road to go back. It's paved with memories, haunting every try to get ahead and keep on driving. Just to leave them behind 
Originally Dutch, right? Yes. How long have you been in, living in London? I uh, came in 2008, so it's nearly 10 years now. Okay, so it's you, been a while. <laughs> I think we can say you're a Londoner now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what, what made you move? Um, I came for an exchange uh, initially, which was supposed to be four months, and then uh, and really liked it and wanted to stay. And um, seeing I write in English, and I already did, um, I wanted to just learn the, the language better. And make it mine and, yeah. So you are about to release an album. Yeah. And you're doing the brave thing of crowdfunding the release. Right. Why are you doing that? Well, actually, I, I did for my first album. Yeah. And that went well. And, um, and with this new album, I kind of I did a couple of things where the album came out as a, as a box set subscription thing throughout the year. So the first part came out last spring. And the album's called For Everything a Season. Um, and it's a bit of a journey uh, on thematically as well. 
Um, so it's about sort of seasons of relationships in life. Um, so the first part, spring, actually came last spring for the people that subscribed to the box, but it wasn't released to the outside world. Um, so some people have been getting bits in the post throughout the year. Oh, how lovely. So the actual full release is happening uh, on the 23rd, so that's next week. Um, so that helped me fund a part of it. So that actually helped me fund the recording. Uh, and I'm now crowdfunding just to be able to pay the final bills of the, the pressing of the vinyl. And I've, I've made these box sets and they're crazy expensive. They came out beautifully and I've got like nice silver lining on them and everything. Um, <laughs> and then I've made calendars, like birthday calendars and all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, I kind of went all out. It's a bit of a, a risk, but I suppose, why not? <laughs> But that that kind of makes sense for me because you know it, we're we're living in a kind of time where you you get music for free and it's kind of I guess the the kind of personality of things is taken away because it's just becomes a playlist on Spotify or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so receiving kind of gifts uh, that are beautifully made through the post and all all the kind of stuff that goes around it makes it really personal and yeah. it feels like it's more it, there's more to it than you know just listening to to the music. Well, that's a bit that was really important to me mm. about about this project and. Um, Realising that art is also it's about making connection with people. And, um, yeah, I felt that was the, the best way to approach it. And it's been amazing because I, I feel so so many of my fans I know by first name and they come to, to the gigs and I see their face, I don't know who it is. And it's really nice. It becomes like a yeah like a little community in itself, yeah. um, which is a really wonderful thing. So we're coming up to the end of this how many days are left on this Only one? Only six. Oh. Six days the left. The last day yeah. is Monday, next Monday, and then the album is out on Thursday, so it's very close together. <laughs> and then you're going to do an album launch soon as well? Yeah, there's an album launch show in uh, in London in Stoke Newington, uh, mm-hmm. near where I live, at a place called The Old Church, which is a little Elizabethan church, I believe, uh, on Clissel Park. And it's just beautiful, and I've lived in that area for the last six years, and I always walk past it and think, oh, I'd love to put something on here one day. And uh, this became the one day. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about that, and I have some beautiful backing singing with Yay. Hannah and, um, <laughs> and another singer and, and, yeah, some other instruments added and have the beautiful acoustics of the church. It's actually, yeah, it's a lovely venue, and I think there's something about the acoustics, you know, in, in churches that they're, they're I, I guess they're having to use the space differently now mm. because less people go to church, and there seems to be a lot more music and concerts happening in churches well, around London. So it does seem to me like that doesn't that hasn't changed the purpose of it though, has it? No, like no. The purpose exactly. of the church has always been community, yeah, and bringing people together in in a communal idea or a communal belief or whatever which I think in art is is the same yeah so it's nice for to see that happening to a lot of churches actually yeah and um so we've got this is going to be the start of a tour yeah so do you want to tell us a little bit about like is it a tour of just the UK or are you going wider um, so with the first bit uh, the sort of spring tour as it stands is, is uh, the UK and then uh, the Netherlands so I've got uh, I've got London. I'm starting off, and then I'm going up to Leicester, Birmingham, Coventry. Actually, the other way around: Coventry, Birmingham, Leicester, and then another show in London. And later on, I've got Oxford and Edinburgh. Um, so all the way up, <laughs> and um, and in Holland, I've got a bit around. Uh, but then from uh, the autumn on, um, my partner and I are moving into a truck to go and properly tour around. So it'll be pretty much the most of Europe. We're planning to just do a five month stint of travelling. 
and and playing because I've played in in Switzerland before in Italy and in Greece and um and in Portugal so I kind of want to redo that and like make it a make it a journey and it ties in with with the next record I'm making so anyway long story (laughs) but but I'm intrigued so does that mean you're kind of contacting venues ahead and then just like driving to them or are you just playing it by ear a little bit and then meeting people along the way or a bit of both yeah I want to plan a route basically with some solid gigs around and then um, and then kind of freewheel parts in between but um yeah <laughs> that's a while away though first uh, first the tour here first the tour and yeah. then and then the the other tour exactly yeah. right um if anyone wants to um receive these lovely gifts that you're kind of creating and your music and i guess the best way to do it is to, to do it through your crowdfunding at the moment because that's you know that's the point of it um how do they do that Uh, it's actually on my own website uh, which is uh, gitterderida.com and then slash for everything season um yeah which is it's nice to do it this way because like previously i used a crowdfunding platform um which is helpful but they obviously take a a fee and yeah i just felt so much was getting lost in sort of third parties and Mm. and uh, i thought i could do it myself and it's giving me a lot of extra work but again it makes it more direct yeah um yeah yeah, so it's on my on my website great and just just to remind everyone that your um so your launch is on the 15th of april the 5th of april April at um the old church in stoke newington thank you very much we're going to hear a track at just in a second um so um it's actually time for us to say goodbye um east cast will be back soon on resonance 104.4 fm with more sounds and stories from east london and beyond in the meantime you can find everything on eastcastshow.com um you can also um subscribe to our podcast on itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast um but to play us out is a track from Gita Derrida's forthcoming album. Um, it's called Forever in Your Heart. So thanks for listening and join us again next month on Eastcast. Keep the ghost of you forever